You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our second scripture reading picks up um, the story that we began last week on Easter Sunday. Uh, After the women have uh, come back from the tomb, uh, the disciples are gathered together in one place. So listen again for God's word from John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was July 15, 1859, when Charles Blondin stood on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. In front of him stretched 1,300 feet of hemp rope, about two inches in diameter. There were other ropes tied to it at every 20 feet to keep it from swaying back inside, but nothing could stop the deep sagging over that length. The whole thing looked like a giant spider web suspended above Niagara Falls. Blondin had just walked backwards across the rope from the U.S. to Canada, and now he was ready to return to the States with his wheelbarrow. Now, this was not Blondin's first time to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. No, that was a couple of weeks earlier on June 30th. That day, he walked across the rope carrying a 26-foot-long balancing pole made out of ash. 
On his way back, he sat down on the rope and lowered another rope down to the maid of the mist that was anchored right below him and hauled up a bottle of wine and took a sip and then ran the rest of the way across the rope. After resting for 20 minutes or so, he strapped one of those big daguerreotype cameras onto his back and started making his way across from Canada uh, to the United States. And when he got about 200 feet onto the rope, he carefully took that camera off his back and balanced it on the rope. And he took a picture of the crowd that had gathered on the American side. And then he put it back on his back and made his way over the rest of the way. Blondin came back a few days later on the 4th of July, and this time he hung out upside down from the rope, and he walked across with a sack over him. So by the time he stood there on July 15th with his wheelbarrow, many people had seen him accomplish this daring feat a few times already with some variations. He slowly made his way across the gorge once more to the delight of the crowd, a crowd that even included uh, Milford Fillmore, the 13th president of the United States. He then returned his wheelbarrow to the Canadian side, this time blindfolded. It was then that this five-foot-tall man with flowing blonde hair turned to the crowd and asked, Do you believe I can carry a person across on this wheelbarrow? And the crowd enthusiastically shouted, yes. He had done so many amazing things already in their presence. Of course he could do that. So he turned to the crowd again and asked, who will get in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) The crowd was silent. No one volunteered. Our two stories this morning from Acts and the Gospel of John plumb this same tension between belief and doubt. In Acts, we see Peter on Pentecost. 53 days earlier, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. But here on Pentecost, after those tongues of fire had rested on each of the disciples, Peter spoke with boldness, declaring the gospel to the gathered crowd with confidence and power. Thousands came to believe in Jesus that day. But it was a very different picture for Peter and the other disciples that night on the first Easter. We heard that story from John this morning. Rather than boldly preaching to the crowds, the disciples were huddled in a locked room for fear of the crowds around them. That morning, some women had told the disciples that the tomb was opened and empty, and Peter and John ran to check it out and found it was as the women described. What could it mean? Had someone stolen the body? A little later, Mary Magdalene came back from the tomb and declared to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
Similar words to what we heard in our passage from today. As the saying goes, seeing is believing. But at that point, the disciples had not seen. And so they locked themselves in a room out of fear. But somehow, Jesus appeared in that locked room and came among them and showed them the wounds on his hands and his side and spoke peace to them and breathed the Holy Spirit into them. Finally, that night, they saw and they believed. Once again, seeing was believing. But Thomas wasn't there that night. Thomas had not seen that night. Thomas did not believe. You know, most people only know Thomas by his unfortunate nickname, Doubting Thomas. But Thomas had proven his worth time and time again during his three years following Jesus. The truth is that Thomas had no more doubt than the rest of the disciples. When he returned to the rest of the disciples, they declared the same words that Mary Magdalene had declared to them that morning, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas sought the exact same proof that the other disciples had already gotten, to see the risen Lord, to touch the scars of his crucifixion, And in God's abundant grace, he got that chance just a week later. And so here we gather, also a week after Easter Sunday, and we hear again, as we do almost every year, the story of Thomas. And what that story reminds us every year is that even Jesus' closest followers Even in them, there remained this mixture of belief and doubt. Every time we baptize someone in this church, we read the Great Commission from the end of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But listen to how that passage actually begins. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted. Even when the disciples came to the mountain where Jesus ascended into heaven and saw him face to face, they brought with them their doubt. And I, for one, find that terribly comforting. The life of faith is always this mixture of belief and doubt. The risen Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Unlike Peter, Thomas, and the rest of those first disciples, we don't get to see the risen Jesus in the flesh. We don't get to reach out and touch the wounds in his hands or his side If seeing is believing, then how on earth are we to believe? But you know, maybe we can see. 
I believe that doubt will always be a reality in authentic and mature faith. How can we open our eyes to the atrocities of the world and not have some measure of doubt? How can we see floods and earthquakes and horrible diseases take innocent lives and not wonder sometimes if God really is in control, if God really cares, or even if God is really out there? But you know, maybe we still can see the risen Jesus these 2,000 years after the resurrection and ascension. Will Willimon writes, when you think about it, the quality of the church's life together is evidence for the truthfulness of the resurrection. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way that the world builds community that there can be no other explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. The tough task of interpreting the reality of a truth like the resurrection, Willimon writes, is not the scientific or the historical, how could such a thing happen? But the ecclesial and communal, why don't you people look more resurrected? We are the body of Christ, my friends. And just like the resurrected Jesus, we too carry our wounds with us every day. But we also carry with us in that mixture of belief and doubt, we also carry with us that faith, that trust, that the story must be true Because what other explanation do we have for the lives that have been transformed by the power of the living Christ in our midst? It is either utter foolishness or it is resurrection power working in our midst to follow Jesus. My friends, no finding of archaeology or test on the Shroud of Turin or anything like that is ever going to prove the truth of the resurrection. We're never going to dig up anything or discover anything that proves that our Lord rose from the dead. There's nothing to find in the dirt near Jerusalem because the proof that we would look for is sitting on the right hand of the Father. And even if we did dig up something, how convincing would that really be? Whose mind would something like that even change if we who follow the risen Lord are not resurrected people ourselves. So let us not keep our Easter faith locked in these walls. As Easter people, let us live such transformed lives that the resurrection can be seen in us. Let us, like those first disciples, reach out and tend to the wounds of others, recognizing in them the wounds of our risen Savior. Let us be the body of Christ that we are called and empowered by the Spirit to be, 
so that others may see and believe that Jesus is alive and well in his church, that Jesus is alive and well in us, so that we ourselves and those around us may truly say with Mary Magdalene and with those other disciples, we have seen the Lord. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.